Today, Alex McCaw and I interview Sid Sigebrandage, CEO of GitLab, who explains what it's like to run the largest intentionally remote company in the world and the culture that has developed as a result. Let's dive in the other direction, Sid. We talk about the benefits and hiring great people and allowing them to live wherever they want to live. That's clear, amazing benefit, especially with the fangs, you know, throw, using cash as a war chest to make it basically impossible to hire good talent in the Bay Area for a, a small startup that can't pay millions of dollars. And, um, but what about the con? What, what, let's be honest with people that if you go down this road, you will experience this negative and it's unavoidable. And what is that? When we got started, it was that uh, investors were skeptics. I think that's no longer the case there. They're on the plus side. Um, there's the fallacy that you can do hybrid. Hybrid is super hard, so don't do that. Then I think there's two things left. You got to embrace asynchronous communication. We make every process change at GitLab through a change in our handbook. That is super hard to enforce. Every single day, I have to keep reinforcing that throughout the organization. It's better, but it's, it's an unnatural motion. Ace, naturally, communication descends into meetings and synchronous communication. So you have to, you have to keep reinforcing that. The other thing is you got to take care of informal communication. You need to formally organize that. If you're remote, it's super effective. Everyone has experienced that. Every company is more productive remote, especially if you don't do it in the middle of a pandemic where people are super distracted. Um, but you need to take care of building those bonds. Before you had facility managers that took care of your office space and then there it magically happened. It wasn't perfect. People knew the people on the same floor and but not on the floor below. You can do way better with remote, but you need to organize it. It's not something that comes for free. You need to do those social calls you need to um yeah be a bit maybe parental about that this this is the really interesting part like how exactly do you do that can you go into detail about how you how you organize the social side yeah if you google gitlab informal communication you'll find more than 15 examples of how we do that but a very effective one is uh coffee chats at GitLab, when you join, we make you do 10 coffee chats. And afterwards, we make you do one a week where you get paired with a random, not a random person, a very special person, but you, the match is made at random. And um, you have 25 minutes. You can spend it however you want. You can talk about work. You can talk, talk about a life, of, uh, life outside of work, but you're going to meet with that person. And if you and like is it, it ran, you, is it random in the whole company? Like one out of whole thousands? company. Wow. Because okay. We're a functionally organized company. So the first thing that will break down at GitLab is silos in the function. So very yeah. important with all our informal communication initiatives, wherever we can, we make them multi, multi-function. Mm-hmm. And, and There's then, also, go ahead, Matt. I was going to ask, um, and we've, you've seen that list. It's a fantastic list. And we're going to link all these, these docs as well. Um, so ever, all viewers will be able to see this. But I'm curious to know, now that you have so much experience with creating connection on a tactical level between team members, what conclusions are you coming to about the theory of what creates connection among humans? So on a broad base level, what is it? Is it that we do projects together? Is that we, you know, obviously it's doesn't, you're saying it's not that I physically see you or I physically, you know, say hello to you and goodbye to you in a physical space. It's something else. 
what is it theoretically that's creating connection among humans? It's a big question, but I think the, it's best if they reinforce one, in, one each other. Some of the most lasting bonds I made were doing Y Combinator. Some of the most lasting bonds people have is when they went through a period of great stress, like in the military. So I think that work and social can reinforce each other, but it's important that you have both types of conversations. That you have the work conversation and that you have get to know the person behind it. The better we know the person behind the work, the more sympathy we'll, we'll feel. Mm -hmm. So for example, we, every week we do uh, team socials where we just 50 minutes, it's not gonna be about the work, it's just about getting to know each other on a different level. And some people have a drink with it. It's, it's something you can do, but with remote, there's less, the time is so efficient and organized. When we're out of points in a meeting, we end the meeting right there and then, even if it's one for it in. Mm -hmm. So it's important to explicitly allot time to these social things. And like, it's weird to have a Google calendar appointment for an informal chat, because what it works and because it's there, it happens and nothing is planned over it. Are these mandatory, the, these social events? The, the first 10 uh, coffee chats are mandatory, part of onboarding mm -hmm. and uh, uh, the group conversations. I don't think they're mandatory. No meetings at GitLab are mandatory, but I, mm -hmm. I think they're highly attended. Got it. And then Sid, you, as one of the 15, you mentioned something called juice box chats. Um, yeah. Well, Darren is the inventor I, as far as I know. So Darren, you might want to elaborate on that. Yeah. So that spawned out of lots of Get, uh, GitLab team members have kids at home now during the pandemic. And we have a parenting channel where we converse about, hey, how do you become a homeschool teacher, essentially? And so we have parents helping each other out. And it kind of collectively dawned on us that if we have spare blocks of time in our calendar, we all have Zoom cameras, we all have kids running around that want to be with other kids, let's just turn our cameras on. So we started this calendar where the parents can sync up, they open up their Zoom cams, they invite their kids together, they can sing, dance, show off toys. So now you have kids that are in isolation, but they're actually getting cultural exploration across six continents, which they probably couldn't even get if they were in school. And so Juicebox Chats is the kids' version of the coffee chat. Fantastic. I love That's it. Awesome. So let, let's then, let's zoom out a second and, um, and, and come to a sort of a, a higher level overall, because um, Sid, about a month ago, you put out a, a tweet thread, which basically called the alarm to the world hey, something really bad is about to happen and I'm going to be the first to warn you. Um, and I think you're absolutely right. And I think you're the one ringing this bell the loudest. So, so let's dig into it. And that is the danger of hybrid. That sort of the world has now been forced into remote, but everyone's eager to get back, but they won't really be allowed to. So they're going to go back in a hybrid version and they're all going to have, your prediction is they're all going to have really bad experiences with that. And they're going to blame it on remote, but actually the blame will be on the hybrid. And exactly right. And what's, what's going to happen? What happened is all the companies went remote and not just we're going to go remote. It went remote unplanned during a global pandemic. There were kids at home. Parents were in danger. It was a miserable time. Every single company I've seen, productivity increased. Everyone was like, I can't believe it, but we're getting more done. It was crazy. Somehow, 
all the CEOs of these companies are deciding, this was great, but we're going to get back to the office. And I have no clue why. Is it a sunk cost fallacy because of the lease? Is it because they like the, the, what it affords them? The feeling of walking into the, the building they built, the people that work for them? I don't think they're that vain. Most people are pretty, pretty, pretty rational, but I don't get it. So the only conclusion I can come to is that they think they need more informal communication. And I bet they do. I bet they didn't organize the informal communication and they should. But the tactic they are choosing of reopening their office is the wrong one. For a very long time, people will not go back into the office. Not all of them. Some people will, some people won't. There's people moving places now. There's people who are more at risk of the coronavirus that have to stay home. So they will open up the office, but not everyone will be there. And then they're going to get two work streams, the people that go back to the old way of working and the people that will have the new way of working. And if the leadership is present at the office, it's clear which style is going to give you more information and more career opportunities. Those people at the office will have an advantage. Yeah. And the people remote will feel left out. And the good, the most talented people and the most ambitious people will leave. They will leave for all remote companies. So this is going to be great for GitLab. But I want to warn the world because we're not hiring a couple of million people. So uh, we're going to do fine anyway. But please, your best remote people are going to leave. The rest of them are going to feel disenfranchised. And it's going to be a failure. And you're going to blame it on remote while the real problem is hybrid. So what do you say to CEOs who, like said? You know, I kind of love remote. You know, I'm maybe an in more introverted CEO. I actually like working through Zoom. But I have the opposite problem where a contingent of my company are telling me they will quit if we don't go back to the office. Um, maybe we just haven't organized the remote activities well enough, the social activities. Or maybe because of the way the GitLab is founded and it's always been remote, like maybe you actually optimize for people who really like being remote and you, and it's just like a fundamental human characteristic and you can't change that. Yeah. When you don't have data, you use anecdotes. I have a very loving social wife. Her name is Karen and she works at HackerOne, a very promising startup. And she was like remote for me, never. Um, so they have a great office culture at HackerOne. I caught up with her. Uh, recently, like, hey, do you feel excited about the office opening back up? And he says, no, I don't care. It doesn't have to open back up. I'm like, what changed? You were so adamant, like, I'm never going to work all remote. It's like, yeah, but I can go now and get boba tea with my colleagues. So every, every day we feel like it, we do that. Plus we do Wednesdays off because we're more effective anyway. And I get to meet up with people. It's about organizing the informal communication. Your people are hurting because you didn't organize that. People are not just work, 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 business, business, business. You're employing humans. They need that informal communication. And they're quitting if you don't give it to them. But you don't have to open up the office to do that. Opening mm. up the office will put their health at risk. Don't mm. do that. Organize yeah. the informal communication. This is such an important point. Um, 
again, with the CEOs that I'm talking to, they all do want to go back in some way. And the biggest thing that they're pointing out to me is that their executive team meetings are now starting to become dysfunctional um, because the, the, and they're making the assumption again, that you're saying that the social bond is now starting to weaken after three months. And, you know, Alex, you have people directly saying that they need to get back in human contact. And that's a little stronger than most because you've created such a in-person family bond at Clearbit. But let's get very tactical now. The the social, the 15 suggestions you have were sort of company level. Let's now talk team level, which likely are no different at all. But to the CEOs out there who say, my executive team is fraying, what would you have them do first? The very first thing you'd have them do. Okay, I don't have a lot of suggestions, but... I still have to download pictures from this drone because I was on holiday last week and we had a pool and I heard one of my reports say, Hey, I, I really miss having a pool and our kid misses it. So I invited them over. We had a great day and this drone might've chopped a few flowers of our Airbnb, but this is going to be public. Sorry about that. Uh, really few. Um, we had a great time. So that's, that's cool. Like you don't have to have an office to, to have that hanging out time together. In fact, the office is not super conducive because that's the place for business. Like, don't, don't do it where there's business. And as executives, we do offsites every quarter. They're great and we can't wait until they're in person again because it's not, it's not the same being remote. But you don't need to do that every day. You don't need to, to hang out together every day. And actually you should, should make the hanging out a bit better because I bet my hanging out by the pool was a bit better than we could have had at the office. And that's from you to your team. I'm talking about from your team to each other. If you, yeah. and you may it's, never experience it's this. this. It's the same thing. We, we facilitate pizza parties for our, for our people to meet up together. We do the weekly hangouts where like this, you can talk about, you can gossip about work. You can do anything as long as you don't talk about the, the, the sprint in progress. I'm going to bring it back to you, Alex. Then yeah. let's come back to you because I think this debate right here, if Sid can convince Alex right now to stay all remote, something really has happened because you're never going to get a live. I mean, Alex, you are the poster child for you want to go back. I, I personally, yeah, I want, I want to go back, but every month that I'm remote, uh, I'm a little bit more obliged to actually stay fully remote. Because I think we're really proving to ourselves that it's possible. Um, it's maybe like there's investors who are skeptical of of the, of the of the thing initially with GitLab, but over time, you know, when you actually show that the company's working and the, the, you know things yeah, are happening, investors, they went from "I don't like this," promising you'll change it as soon as it stops working, and now like, "Hey, Sid, what do you think about me starting a fund? Uh, because we found that your costs are way lower." Plus you have like 88% year over year retention. Plus you get better talent than any company we know. So we think this remote thing is just a way to make companies work in this <laughs> place. So yeah. yeah. You can do it, but allow time. Allow time for it. You're, you're gaining so much efficiency by being remote. Invest some of that back into explicitly making time for those, that informal communication. And, and Alex, you're probably not taking full advantage of remote. You're simply working mm. at home in the home that you have because it is convenient for your co-location. But imagine if that doesn't have to exist. 
Now, if the entire world, you could just spin the globe and say, where do I want to be? Where do I want, what do I want my life to look like? Now you're actually taking advantage of remote. It's not, it's not very fun to just work from home in a very expensive place where you can see the office. Yeah. You have to do life differently to actually fully take advantage of remote. That is a great point. Yeah. You know, one of the things that we did really well was we did our Q, uh, Q1 planning, Q2 planning or remote. And um, we had like a remote conference almost. And I'm wondering if th this is the way that you run things as well. Do you run events like every now and again? Maybe your planning week is kind of like a conference that's completely remote. Yeah, we did a, a virtual contribute. So we come together as the whole company once a year in a beautiful location. Um, and we can do that. So we did it virtually. Uh, it was only a single day. It was really fun. We did a ton of breakout groups. We kind of were speed dating as in like meeting people for five minutes. Um, so that was really fun. Our planning, uh, a lot of that is, is the, normally we do it at an offsite. We have dinner together. We, there's, there's time to hang out. We did an escape room last time, you know, the drill. This time we're like, okay, well, we're going to do half days because a full day on behind the camera is too much. But we get we got as as much done as as otherwise. Just having a Google Doc on the side and everything else, we got the same stuff done. But we we didn't explicitly make time for the softer things. We should have done the like let's give each other feedback in a group and things like that. And mm. we could have done that and we didn't. So even even we are sometimes not good at um, being formal about the informal communication. But we're we're getting better.